Welcome to the Hospital Finance Podcast, your go-to source for information and insights that can help you stay ahead of the challenges impacting healthcare finance. And now, the host of the Hospital Finance Podcast, Michael Passanate. Hi, this is Mike Passanate, and welcome back to the award-winning Hospital Finance Podcast. The No Surprises Act took effect January 1st, 2022. And this new batch of healthcare transparency regulations could help protect consumers from surprise hospital bills. To help us understand more about this initiative and its implications for providers, I'm joined by Bill Campine. Bill is the co-founder and chief innovation officer at Healthcare Blue Book. Bill is a healthcare economist by training and a serial healthcare entrepreneur with over 25 years of experience. He has been deeply involved at the state and federal levels, helping to shape healthcare price transparency policy and regulations. Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike, for uh, having me on the podcast today. I'm really excited to be here. Looking forward to your perspectives, Bill. But before we dive in, why don't you tell us a little bit about Healthcare Blue Book and what you do there? Sure. Yeah. Well, you know, we founded Blue Book in 2007 with a pretty simple purpose really to protect patients by exposing the truth about price and quality differences and then uh, making sure that they have the the tools that consumers need to navigate to better value in the healthcare system. And since that time, uh, we've grown to be, uh, be one of the largest providers of healthcare price and quality navigation solutions. And so, um, you know, our clients are self-insured state and municipal employers, uh, self-insured Fortune 500 employers, uh, third-party administrators, and and uh, regional health plans. And we also provide cost and quality measurement solutions to uh, hospitals and providers through our our Quantros suite of uh, solutions. Uh, And importantly, we offer solutions that uh, enable hospitals to deliver on their their price transparency rule requirements. Appreciate that, Bill. And my next question is probably a little bit to unpack. So um, let's take our time and work through it. I'd like to to, to get, see if you can give us a brief overview of the No Surprises Act, um, particularly what's expected of the providers under the law as of January and what might be coming up over the next year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the No Surprises Act is only the most recent of what I would consider three major federal policy initiatives related to price transparency. Um, the first, and I'm sure your listeners are well uh, very familiar with it, is the hospital transparency rules that went into effect uh, in 2021. The second is the transparency and coverage rules that begin to go into effect uh, later this year. And of course, the third is the No Surprises Act that uh, was uh, passed in December of 21 as, as part of the Consolidated Appropriations Act. Most of the language in the No Surprises Act really uh, began life as the Bipartisan Lower Healthcare Costs Act. Uh, or bill that was drafted in, in 2019, and that was um, following a series of uh, uh, Senate Health Committee hearings in, in 2018 on how to uh, reduce the growth in healthcare costs in the United States. And so the No Surprises Act itself has quite a few provisions, uh, but the major provision that providers and plans will have to navigate in 2022 is really um, the elimination of patient surprise billing when patients un, uh, unknowingly use out-of-network providers uh, at in-network facilities, so in-network hospitals or uh, um, uh, hospital outpatient departments or ambulatory surgery centers, uh, or when the patient is in a circumstance where they, they must receive tr- uh, treatment like a, an ER 
uh, or an air ambulance. And so uh, the act ensures that patients only pay their in-network cost-sharing amount, even if they unknowingly used an out-of-network uh, provider. Um, and it also uh, uh, prohibits the out-of-network providers, importantly, from balance billing patients, right? That, that's always a huge uh, dissatisfier. And, you know, where this typically happens is um, with uh, provider specialties uh, like anesthesiology would be a great example, uh, radiologists, uh, sometimes uh, ER attending docs. The Act also provides a process for patients to waive their protections, right? So if they're informed ahead of time that this provider is out of network, um, they can still select to go, uh, choose to go through with that care. However, providers must furnish to the patient an estimated uh, estimate of the out-of-pocket costs for that out-of-network care ahead of time uh, as part of that waiver. The Act provides a methodology for providers and insurers to negotiate reimbursement. Uh, as well as an independent dispute resolution process, uh, commonly referred to as an IDR, in the event of a dispute. And so the, the dispute resolution, you know, sort of uses a, a sort of a baseball-style arbitration process, right, where both sides um, submit a, a price and then a determination is made. But on the payer side, uh, the payment is based on what is called the qualifying payment amount, and that is the median, uh, essentially, of the contracted rates for the same service delivered by uh, a, the, the same uh, specialty or similar specialty uh, for that particular service. And so all those rates, right, that, that qualifying payment rate has to be calculated um, for the same MSA or the same metropolitan area. Uh, and, and there are a couple of other requirements that go with that. Now, there are other notable provisions in the Act that will impact providers' uh, plans and, and employers. Many of these other provisions are awaiting regulatory guidance that we anticipate to be forthcoming in 2022. And so as we look, you know, sort of down the road in terms of what's, what's coming, um, some of these include the uh, requirement for providers to inform patients of network status. Uh, and, the, and provide an estimate of bill charges at the time that they schedule a service for a patient. That requirement is closely linked to the plan requirement to provide the member with uh, an advanced explanation of benefits or an EOB with the estimated in-network price and the patient's uh, out-of-pocket estimate prior to care. Now, these requirements, and there are other requirements that, that of course, will uh, impact both the plan and the provider, um, but, you know, they require data exchange with the plans. Uh, they require details on how the information will be provided to the member. Um, and we anticipate more regulatory guidance uh, and implementation guidance on that in the coming year. But that will be coming down the pike. There are a host of other requirements that impact plans and employers as well. These include the provision of, uh, for plans and self-insured employers to provide a consumer transparency tool. Um, those requirements are very similar to the consumer tool requirements outlined by the transparency and coverage rules. Uh, there are also provisions related to provider directory accuracy, data reporting, 
let's see, elimination of gag clauses uh, for employers and contracts that are signed between the, the plan and the providers. Uh, and there are a variety of other initiatives. And, and for many of those initiatives, again, as we look at the timetable, uh, there has not been uh, interim final guidance released. And so we're expecting regulatory feedback and guidance on that in 2022, um, potentially with implementation uh, uh, by the end of 2022 or into 2023. Bill, you've been working with providers and other organizations to help them comply with these laws. What are some of the challenges you've encountered? So we do offer solutions that uh, enable providers, payers, and self-insured employers to ensure compliance across all three of those major transparency initiatives. But um, specifically for providers in the No Surprises Act, I I think there are a number of challenges. Um, First, the initial phase of the act, you know, it has a lot of moving pieces and requirements. And so it's important to stay on top of uh, the final interim rules, uh, which have been issued, the proposed rules, which honestly I haven't checked on in a while. I, I can't recall if guidance is, uh, if, if um, uh, um, feedback is still open on those. Um, and then, you know, there's sort of ongoing implementation guidance being released by the departments. And so I think it's important to stay on top of those changes and those guidance to make sure that, that everybody is sort of on target. Second, the near-term focus is really the surprise billing piece, but we also need to prepare for forthcoming guidance on other provisions, um, like, again, the advanced explanation of benefits, uh, and begin to plan for how that will impact both plans and providers. And so it's not as if we implement surprise billing provisions uh, and then we're done, right? So we know there's there's more work coming down the, down the pike on this. Um, lastly, uh, you, you know, many states have existing surprise billing uh, laws and requirements that are currently on the books. And so keeping track of the local versus uh, federal requirements requires quite a bit of work, uh, as well as understanding sort of who is the enforcement authority for each of the rules. And, and, and that's a big task in terms of, um, oh, just, you know, keeping track and, and keeping that in mind and building it into uh, one's compliance response. Again, on the payer and employer side, there are also a number of challenges. Um, Many of our payer clients are working through the qualifying payment process and and understanding the data sources. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of uh, uh, opinions there. Um, And to an extent, you know, I think the payers will have an even larger bucket of work to do in 2022 uh, when we receive guidance on a number of the additional provisions beyond surprise billing. Um, I'd mentioned it before, but, you know, again, the, the advanced EOB, uh, the direct, uh, sorry, directory accuracy requirements, and there, there are some requirements about um, pharmacy price reporting back to the departments. Uh, you know, stepping back and thinking more broadly about uh, the full constellation of federal transparency initiatives, there's also a lot of work to be done in managing the requirements across both the No Surprises Act and the Transparency and Coverage Rules because there is some overlap. And so, as an example, and again, I'd mentioned this earlier, but both Transparency and Coverage and No Surprises uh, have a requirement for a consumer transparency tool. And if you look at these, right, a lot of the features are largely duplicative. So we've worked with our, our clients as well as the departments um, 
uh, and industry advisory groups, and there are several of those in Washington, but just to make sure that we're gaining clarity on the requirements across the constellation of initiatives uh, to ensure that, you know, our clients, be they third-party administrators or plans or self-insured employers, that they're not doing duplicative work. Um, specifically with the transparency tools, you know, ideally an employer or payer can satisfy the, the no surprises tool requirements when they meet the, the transparency uh, and coverage requirements for a consumer tool. Bill, uh, are providers and other entities embracing this increased transparency in your view? You know, I, I think the rate of adoption is a bit mixed, um, but overall the trend is really toward more transparency, and, you know, to me that, that makes sense. Um, again, looking at the three major policy initiatives, uh, transparency is a topic that's clearly not going away. In the case of the hospital transparency requirements, um, hospitals have clearly taken different approaches. Uh, you know, there are systems that feel strongly that they are offering high quality and cost competitive services. And, you know, as a result, they're choosing to <clears throat> embrace that advantage uh, and generally, you know, publishing more than what is required, right? There's a requirement of 300 services, but, you know, some of these um, uh, hospitals, and we do have some, some of these clients, uh, you know, are really view this as an advantage, right? And they want those cases and they want those cases from, for example, their local employers. Um, so they're being very aggressive. But at the same time, you know, I think it's also been well documented by Kaiser Health uh, and others that some hospitals are going to, you know, take a wait and see approach until there's some evidence of enforcement um, before they, they begin to engage. My, my perspective on the, the No Surprises Act is that, you know, we're a little, a little early. I, I don't see a lot of disagreement from providers uh, in our conversations in terms of patients needing to know network status and having information ahead of time. Um, but there are generally two concerns. And, you know, I mean, there are certainly more than that. But, you know, I think the first is timing. You know, there are, there are a lot, there are large, large number of requirements, and um, it requires data flows that n have not necessarily been worked out yet, um, not to mention, uh, again, the, the layers of rules, right, between federal transparency and, and state-level transparency and the the oversight authority. So I think it's a lot of work to get done in a short period of time. Um, the second is, you know, I think there's maybe a little bit of pushback on the uh, the IDR process and the calculation of the qualifying payment amount. My, my sense there, though, is that that will, you know, ultimately get worked out. Bill, uh, you know, getting an accurate price for just about anything in healthcare is notoriously difficult in terms of actual cost. Do you think the information that's making its way to consumers through this initiative will improve their ability to make more informed decisions? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the most recent Kaiser numbers I've seen, uh, I think show two in three adults worry about surprise bills. Um, you know, just speaking as Blue Book with more than a decade of working with consumers, we've learned that um, to your point, right, the inability to correctly anticipate healthcare costs is a massive dissatisfier, uh, dissatisfier for patients. And uh, it, it even causes some patients to avoid care uh, over that, that fear. In addition, the out-of-network charges can be significant. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I've certainly experienced those and it's a bit of a shock. 
Uh, and we know that those charges, you know, are a contributing factor to, to financial distress. So eliminating surprise bills, I think, is good for consumers. Um, equally important, taking the many separate transparency initiatives within the No Surprises Act. Remember, there are two titles and, and, and quite a few separate initiatives, but taking them as a whole. Um, this is a big step towards helping self-insured employers and consumers get more value from healthcare. You know, from my seat, the concepts particularly the required transparency tools really aren't new, right? For more than a decade at Blue Book, we've been working with uh, employers and consumers to provide intuitive cost and quality tools, um, value-based incentives, right, that reward the, the use of uh, high-value care and, and, and member engagement programs. And I think the, the results are pretty clear, right? When we we use best practices. We see high levels of member engagement, uh, and we can show, right, we can calculate hard dollar savings both for the plan and for the member individually. So I think um, the information is uh, foundational, but when put into practice with, with best practices, absolutely, I think consumers get uh, the value that we're looking for. And to that end, do you think there are additional steps that providers or payers or other entities in the ecosystem could take to help consumers understand their healthcare costs better? I do. Um, ultimately, the goal of transparency initiatives like the hospital rule or the transparency and coverage rules or the No Surprises Act are really to protect consumers, increase transparency, and reduce overall costs for both the plan and the individual member. Um, the focus of all these initiatives, though, has really been on cost with no provision for quality, and I think that's a miss. Um, achieving value in healthcare is sort of a three-legged stool, and it's comprised of cost, right, which this covers, uh, quality, and appropriate or efficient care. And, and that's really where we have focused as Blue Book. And so, again, as I think about it for, for plans and self-insured employers that have to be compliant, I would encourage payers and employers to look sort of beyond check-the-box compliance solutions with regard to the No Surprises Act and even the Transparency and Coverage Act, and to take an approach that navigates members um, based on value, right? You have a network. We know that there are price differences. We know there are quality differences. We know that there are significant amounts to be saved for the plan and the member by using high-quality, cost-effective providers within that network or perhaps even accessing them directly. But it has to incorporate a couple of elements, right? Member navigation that's based on both cost and quality. Um, the tools aren't helpful if members don't use them, right? So demonstrated techniques for member engagement, it's really important. Uh, and there's an important role for benefit design, right? So uh, I'm a big proponent of value-based benefit designs that incent the use of high-value care. And those could be shared savings programs or there's a number of different ways of doing it. Um, lastly, again, on the, the, the plan and, and uh, uh, payer side, um, as care gets more complex, it's hard for, harder for patients to navigate. And so um, ensuring that members have both the incentive, the tools, the engagement, but also the member support they need uh, to, uh, to navigate that network and get, get, get to the better value care. I think similarly for providers, right, the idea is to compete both on cost and quality. Um, cost is only one dimension. Uh, in, in our experience, and particularly through our Quantros brand, we, uh, for um, quite a few years, have 
offered a full suite of solutions that enable providers to measure benchmark uh, and work to improve uh, their cost profile and their clinical quality. Um, and with that information, right, that allows providers to conf uh, be confident in competing both on cost and quality. Um, but sometimes that takes an independent lens uh, in, in order to understand that. Great perspectives, Bill. And if someone wanted to find out uh, more about Healthcare Blue Book, where can they go? Sure. Listeners can find us on our website. That's healthcarebluebook.com. On the website, they'll find comprehensive information about our cost and quality solutions, uh, including Blue Book Comply, which we've talked uh, about today, um, which is designed to help companies get ahead of the transparency regulations. And again, that's for um, plans, self-insured employers, providers. Uh, the site also has blogs and, and information on our whole suite of solutions from uh, prescription drug cost uh, containment to uh, benefit design and employee engagement. So there's a lot there, uh, uh, and that can all be found on our website. Fantastic. Bill Campine, thanks so much for joining us today on the Hospital Finance Podcast. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's been a real pleasure. If you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss on the Hospital Finance Podcast, or if you'd like to be a guest, drop us a line at update at Bessler.com. This concludes today's episode of the Hospital Finance Podcast. For show notes and additional resources to help you protect and enhance revenue at your hospital, visit Bessler.com forward slash podcasts. The Hospital Finance Podcast is a production of Bessler. Smart about revenue, tenacious about results.